You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse and that is the navigator series now they have the women's wind rows they have the men's wind rows and then they have the atlas the atlas series within that as well so go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have i've been using mine for a couple weeks now and i am very impressed with the the fit and the feel and i can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run so lacrossefootwear.com check them out Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, where we celebrate our hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our game. No egos, no status, just catch it, cut it, and cook it. This is episode 32, Huntivore Scoring System, and how much am I going to get back from my deer? Nick and Dustin chat about the changes or non-changes to their archery setup. At the time of this recording, there was 30 days left before season here in Michigan, but realistically, it's right around the corner. Nick put together a formula to use when trying to figure out how much usable weight to expect off your deer. Plus, the guys roll out the Otto Eisenhoff scoring system. Get your pens and pencils ready. It's going to need some thinking. Well, hey, good evening, folks. Huntivore here sitting in the uh, Spirit of America studio, kind of feeling a little nervous. Um, just as we've gotten ready to record, we're, we're getting hit with a pretty good thunderstorm right now. A lot of electricity in the air. I've got a microphone an inch from my face. So if you hear a loud boom, you know that I am no more. So you're probably I'll also... Make sure. <laughs> I'll make sure to upload it. <laughs> you up- Upload it, Dustin. <laughs> so that people can hear the last words of Nick. <laughs> Hopefully they're they're epic and profound, inspiring, <laughs> not a bunch of whimpering. <laughs> but anyway, if you also hear a lot of rain in the background, please excuse that. But hey, Dustin, it's been a long time since yeah. uh, we've got a chance to talk. How are you doing, yeah, my friend? Tired. Good, but tired. 
you're uh, you're going through quite the ordeal right now that's going to come into play uh, specifically later into this season. This is going to be a, a hurdle for you. You are packing everything up and you are moving. Am I yes. right? You are right. I have the a fantastic timing of selling my house and relocating uh, closer to work. So I will be not too far away. Obviously, I was within commuting distance now, but I'll be on the closer side of the commute with the family because my wife got a job across the street from me and got my son into daycare and all that fun stuff. So, Well, good deal. Are you going yeah. to do the joint commute with the missus? Even though you're, you're going to be closer, you guys going to be one vehicling it into uh, the city? We're going to... At some point, that's the goal. Our schedules, we don't think, will align perfectly in the first couple of months, so we're not entirely sure how that's going to work out. But, yeah, the end goal is be that couple. (laughs) 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 Commutes together. Hold hands until you have to separate and cross the street. Here's where you cross the street, honey. Yeah. Well, I'm sad to hear that, but at the same time, I think it's going to be, it's going to be good for you. It's not good for, uh, you know, necessarily our proximity, but at the same time, the beauty of the internet is, uh, this is, this is going to continue. Exactly. Cause we're using the internet right now. Good deal. Good deal. So tonight, uh, we got a couple, uh, things on the docket. Let's start off first with, we are roughly 30 days until the archery season here in Michigan kicks open. Um, I know if you've got the youth ticket, you get the youth license, you can go out, I think, the weekend before. You've also got the uh, veteran license, the liberty license, that you can go out, I think, is it the same weekend, or are those two different weekends, Dustin? So the veteran and the youth is the same, but that's earlier. So they moved it up. So early doe is that... Uh, the 22nd, I believe, 21st and 22nd, which would be kind of that weekend before the bow opener. And I think the, the week, the weekend before that would be the, um, veteran and youth, which are, yeah, I forget the names of them, but that's essentially what they are. Any so plans? They moved it up a little bit. Gotcha. I mean, well, not this year. Any plans for the youth season for you and, and your little guy? Or he's just not, he's not ready to go out yet. He's definitely not ready to go out yet. Uh, yeah, nobody would make out alive. <laughs> <laughs> I think his intro will probably be like, I don't know, somewhere around the traditional firearm season when he's really little and just getting him into the blind where he can, you know, all the deer are scared and gone for the most part. And he can kind of just get acclimated to what hunting is supposed to be in the blind. Maybe we'll get lucky and see one. So I think that could be in the near future or it may even like, you know, just forget the ammo in the cabin so that nobody gets hurt. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> any legitimate, I think we're a little ways out. Yeah. My, uh, my five-year-old has mentioned it a couple times, but at the same time, his, his span of patience, I mean, we'd be out there 10 minutes and he'd want to go do something else. Yeah. Um, it, it's really tough at this point. They do appreciate when we um, 
do the little ATV gator rides around the uh, around the woods and around the field edge because we do see a fair amount of deer uh, in that realm. And so that's their that's their deer viewing. I want to keep that up because they do appreciate that. But it's also yeah. one of those like almost half guaranteed. And at the same time, you know what? We're not. I mean, we're, you're sitting on the gator, but you're moving, and it's yeah. it keeps them occupied. They're just they're just not ready for a sit yet. And if if you don't see a deer, you at least did the gator thing. So exactly, there's always a good experience. So with it being thirty days out, and uh, yeah, I mean limited limited time that you've got into your setup right now, just because of all the logistics going on. Give us a breakdown of what you're bringing in from last year. Uh, rocking the crossbow again? Is that going to yep. be your uh, tool of choice? It is, yeah. So it's the same setup as last year, so it'll be the 10-point XLT Turbo 2, which is uh, maybe five years old now. Um, so I've got that with other carbon bolts, so 20-inch bolts, they're Eastern blood tines um, with the Grim Reaper 125 grade broadhead, which brings the whole package up to four 400 grains. So that is the the weapon of choice. How many how many pounds is that pulling? Um, a lot. I think <laughs> I think it's 165. It could be a little more than that. Holy smokes! Um, yeah, I mean, you use a rope cocking device, which is well, yeah, that's what I use. So mine, not the crank. Not yeah, my mine, the crank is extra. And uh, I spent all, all I wanted on my first shot. I guess I could add it later, but I don't. I don't know. I guess if I had the rope or the crank assisted, I'd probably get used to it. But, um, yeah, since I've had it here for the last several years, I just use a little rope deal with wheels and a hook, and that essentially cuts the pulling weight in half. Um, through the sciences, got, yeah, it runs through a basically a pulley or a come along. So you, you go through it once and it halves the amount of effort and then you go through it again yep. and then it halves the half. So, yeah. Um, what's the range that you know of with, uh, with compounds is one sixty five like mid range. Is there lighter? Oh, is the there, weight. Yeah. As far as pounded. I, I think the weight is fairly standard. I think, um, it's been, I mean, I've, don't pay a ton of attention to um, what they're doing now to get more speed. I know they're getting more speed, I assume. I mean, there's only so much you can pull. So right. um, I think they're probably sticking with about that way. The recurves potentially could be a little more. I'm, I'm not real entirely sure. It doesn't, since it is kind of a one and done deal, it doesn't get as much attention as say, you know, the weight that you're pulling on either your trad gear, your wheel elbow, just because, you know, that really can affect your shot performance and stuff like that if you're, you know, pulling too much where this is, you grin and bear it, and then once you know you're clicked in, then, you know, you're set and your shot's going to be consistent. So, I don't know. I just don't see a lot of, uh, conversation going so much about weight speed on the other hand 
you know, everybody, no matter what you're shooting, I guess. Wheel bow or crossbow. Speed seems to catch all the marketing headlines. Yeah. I'm I'm impressed with your uh twenty inch bolt still being four hundred grains. That's a nice uh that's a nice punch coming out of there at twenty inches. Yeah, they're fairly large diameter and my setup is probably lighter than a lot of them now. Um I'm on the light side of things. And the reason that I don't the real reason that I stick with four hundred is that my um I have a variable reticle scope and it's not well I guess it's it's hashed but it's a fixed so I can't adjust it. So it's designed to be um dialed in at four hundred um four hundred grain arrow so that I can have twenty, thirty, forty on the hash marks. If I went heavier or lighter then I'd have goofy intervals, which I've done before. And it's fine to get used to it, but uh it's there's that extra chance for your brain to screw up in the moment of truth being like, is my 37 yard pin low or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That was going to be my next question is uh, what are you looking at for a scope? And so you got like basically a fixed scope at that point with preset. Um, yep. So they're not adjustable, but so you, you, that's the reason you're kind of locked into that 400 grains is because everything's set up for that, that particular yep. weight. Yep. So, I mean, I could get to that 400 however I really want. Um, so, it, yeah, it does limit the, the bolts that you're getting after. What's your effective range with uh, with the, the 10 point there? What are you looking at as far as, like, this is as far as I'm going to shoot at a living creature because I know it's going to die, and beyond that, yeah. it, it gets too iffy. What, what's that range for you? 40 yards. I will. I won't go past forty. I prefer five. <laughs> right there. Yeah. I mean, I I set my stands, you know, just as I did prior to, um, picking up the crossbow when I had, uh, was running regular, uh, wheelbow archery stuff. So, all my setups are same. My comfortable, effective range is the same. I think my 40 yard comfort level is extremely, uh, it's much higher now than when I had the, or the, the wheel bow. I still, yeah. I mean, that was my, I told myself that was my comfortable range, but there's a reason that I kind of switched off because, you know, I wasn't as consistent as I wanted to be. Yeah. Despite all the practice. Hey, finding something that you're confident in, that's that's most important. Um, yeah, I'm kind of with you. Even with a, a vertical bow, 40 yards, that, that thing's done. It is, it, it's on the ground. 41, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And I've gone ahead and made that call now. You know, and b before I'm even out there in the woods and you just make that because, I don't know, I, everybody sits in the stand and has that same talk with themselves like, I bet you I could do it. Yeah. I got a pin here that says I can do it. You know, I went to the total archery challenge and shot foam at hundred yards. Why not? Why not send one at 50? It's, there's just so much that can go wrong anywhere from that comfort level to your questionable mark. So it's like, yeah, 
40.0, I'm all about it. 40.5, it might as well be 405 at that point. Yeah. I don't hunt any field edges or anything like that either. I mean, I'm either set up pretty close to um, like bedding areas or in a transition areas in the woods. So, I mean, even if I wanted to, I don't trim my lanes to go any further than that. So it's just makes it easy on me because I can't anyways. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Force myself into the situation. I would say too, I think a Michigan whitetail if you put them out in a cut cornfield, I don't think you can see them further than 40 yards. It is incredible how that critter can be standing right there and just literally the color of cut corn and their coat is the exact same. It is, it, you get to it even to a point in the night where you're looking at a deer and then the dusk like does one, one tone darker and you've lost them. Like it was standing yeah. right there, and they just Disappeared. yeah they just melt. I don't think they have any like sharp edges. They're just naturally <laughs> fuzzy. You know you can you can't really focus on that white tail critter, man. So as we're going through here, I got a we got a couple things we want to talk about. And first one is for our cut up client our. Are folks who have taken the challenge to cut their their own deer, process their own deer, either in their kitchen, in their garage, or whatever. And this is a this was a good tool that we put together last year, and we didn't we didn't post it, but we tried it on um, a couple of our deer to just kind of see where we graded ourselves as meat cutters at this point. Um, We've put together a breakdown of usable meat off of a deer. Um, I would go through the sources that I got this from. However, I forgot them. <laughs> <laughs> we had a document. No, I had a I had a little note. I had one of those on the on the iPhone. You have that note app. I love that yeah. note app. And I've got like a bazillion notes. And every once in a while, I have to go through and like delete a bunch of them because I'm either running out of space or whatever. And I think where I got the sources and the whole reason behind it, or at least the, the knowledge behind it went away. So I've lost that. Um, but I did find actually, I think it was uh public land warrior Brock sent that over to me, but we uh, basically were able to put together an approximation um, well, first off, you have to have your known data and um, having your deer and having the ability to hang a field dressed deer from this scale is going to make it possible. That's your first hurdle is finding yourself a scale that you can put on uh, or basically hang a field dressed deer. Um, field dressed, just to, to lay out for the for folks as we're working with this, is hide and hooves are still on. All the innards and entrails have been removed. So you've basically cut her open and brought out all the intestines, the liver, the heart, the lungs, the esophagus, everything inside that fifth quarter cavity is now out. 
but you're leaving on the head, the hooves, and the hide. So you've just basically dressed it out, and it's now hanging at this point. And that's the weight you're going to start with. This is where we get into four different categories that kind of lead into one another. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll post this either in the notes or we'll, we'll give you, um, we'll post it either on social media or something. But anyway, you basically have an algebraic formula or at least something you would use in algebra. I think this is the only time I've understood algebra <laughs> <laughs> because I, maybe it's important to me. If, if they if explained it like this, I think I would have done yeah. much better in algebra. Geometry? See, I didn't have a problem in geometry. Angles and shapes? I get it. Yeah. It's, it's concrete. It. It's right it there. As soon as you talk about, you know, find X, could care two, le- two cents about what yeah, X right the, now. It, it's near the end of the alphabet. I it, can find it every time. <laughs> it's right there. It's right there. Hasn't moved. So, if you're looking to take the approximate live weight, now you could get the actual, I guess, live weight of the animal by, by pre-measuring uh, the deer before field dressing it. A lot of times, guys field dress them in, uh, in the field, hence field dressing, and then bring them back to where they can then raise them on the scale. And this is the scenario we have. So you're getting an approximate live weight. So you take your field dressed weight and you multiply that by a multiplier of 1.26. That's going to give you the approximate live weight of that animal. If you're looking for the hanging carcass weight again you could take the actual animal dehide it dehead it hooves off weigh that and that would give you the exact but if you needed that information right now it would be the field dressed weight divided by 1.331 and that will give you the hanging carcass weight now this is a way a way that you can then figure out what the range is of the meat you're going to get back off of a processed deer. This could be used for guys that uh, even want to take their deer to a processor. They've already field dressed it. They want to figure how many cuts I'm going to get. And this is where then you take a multiplier of 0.67 and a multiplier of 0.38.5. And now you're going to use your hanging weight. So hanging weight multiplied by 0.67 is going to give you your ideal usable meat. And I emphasize the part of ideal. This is a multiplier that's used in the domestic world for like choice or like perfectly dispatched animals where you're going to be able to get a high yield off of that. Um, Over that 50%, you're looking at 0.67% or excuse me, 67% of a hanging carcass to be usable cuts, that is a very high number to reach, and that is the ideal setting. We are coming from an animal that we shoot with a, with a gun, with a crossbow, with a vertical bow. We're, we're not exactly dispatching this thing in the skull, so there's going to be blood, there's going to be blood meat, basically. There's going to be damage that we're going to have to cut around, and that's where the realistic usable meat comes in, and that becomes the lower end of your range. 
And so that would be the hanging carcass multiplied by 0.385. And that will give you the realistic usable meat category. So given all this information, I do have an example that was given. And we're going to be using Public Land Warrior's book. The known information that we had, because he put it on a scale, was 110 pounds field dressed. So when he brought that in, that animal without any entrails in it, with the head, the hooves, the horns, everything still attached, was 110 pounds. Pretty pretty uh, slim buck, but at the same time, it's plus 100 pounds. That's a that's a heck of a heck of a pull because that's a whole quarter of that animal comes out of the gut right there at the beginning. So we now can get an approximate live weight. We take that 110 and multiply it by 1.26 and we get a weight of 138.6. So just about 140 pounds on the hoof is what that buck was walking around at. Now we're going to get into where the carcass is going to be, and 110 pounds divided by that 1.331 equals an 82-pound carcass. You're like, that, that seems kind of drastic. At the same time, you're losing head, you're losing hooves, and as much as like it's pretty thin, the hide, that does add up really yeah, fast. some weight there. Yeah. And, I mean, you got to think about it, too. There's, like, the the intercostal fat that's on that skin. You're, you're pulling a lot off at that point. So now we're at 82 pounds of a carcass. Ideally, hanging carcass multiplied by 0.67 equals ideal usable weight. That's ideal. That ideal usable weight that we got, usable meat, multiplied by 0.7 gives you your realistic. So ultimately, you go and you take your deer to a processor and you have the information of, I've got a 110-pound field-dressed deer. The range that you're going to be getting back based upon the condition of the animal and the skill of the cutter is going to come somewhere between the range of 55 pounds and 38 pounds. Does that make sense, Dustin? It does. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think in most cases, (laughs) realistic will be reality. So it's appropriately named. Yeah. You have the, uh, the notion of when, you know, you take your deer in, you brought this thing in the back of your truck. Like I, I struggled to pick this up. You give it to the meat cutter. And you say, hey, I want it all steak. Give me a little bit of ground and I want some summer sausage. And you come back and you have this like teeny tiny box. Yeah, here's your box. Here's your box. Uh, where's the rest of my deer? Uh, that's that's it. It's amazing how, I mean, A, how you can get as much meat out of a bigger animal. But at the same time, like, you got to realize that you're also discarding a lot of this animal being it either a fat fluid or unusable gut in this animal so yeah it's pretty shocking to some people when they come out of here and they're like that that's it have you had 
an experience like that, Dustin, or have you always, because you've taken yours to a processor before. Yeah. Um, I, I think growing up, we always brought them to the processor. So, you know, when you're 12 years old, well, even younger, or, you know, other family members get deer, you kind of, that sets the expectation. So I don't think I, I don't know, at such a young age you kind of just get the expectation that you know that's what it is so i don't think i really had that but i could definitely see if i was coming you know new into it and never had that experience and was you know older and (laughs) thought a little bit more about it that that would be surprising i think people also too like they take that number and they they think that that's something like, oh man, thirty eight pounds. Like that's that's a not that's not a lot of meat. Well, how much meat do you go through in a given meal? Like you're going through like pretty much one pound. Well, I cooked up a five pound roast, and you ended up eating off that for a a whole week. You know, where you just yeah. you saved it and you just wheeled on it all week. So, you know, you think about that. You know, a in this in this scenario of a 110 pound buck and you get a realistic weight of 38 pounds, you know, you use a pound of it for like a family of four when it comes to burgers or even tacos. And that, that meat goes a long way. One thing I've, I've found about venison too, is like, I can't eat a ton of it. It's, it's filling. I'll have, you know, a nice piece of venison steak and it's like, I, I don't know if I could go back for a second piece just because like I'm I'm satisfied. I'm full. I don't need any more. It's it is dense. It is very dense. I liked how we were also talking earlier too, how you know, you, you get into a routine of having such protein rich meat that yeah, it starts to starts to come out in your flatulence. <laughs> you end up <laughs> You end up having the venny farts, and yeah, you definitely know that, yeah, I got protein in my diet. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, I mean, if you thought about if what if you're 40 pounds, is you're realistic, just picture yourself walking into the local grocery store and putting 40 packages or 41 pound packages of meat from the uh, meat counter in there. That, that's a lot. It is. It is. So I think, yeah, I think just having a good, healthy, I don't want to say respect, but at least a, a knowledge of what you're going to be getting into. Um, cause yeah, even by some of these numbers too, like just going through and processing my own deer, I do see that transformation from, you know, this big animal on a table and I do, I end up packing it into a nice tight little box but at the same time, like it's a heavy, heavy box and that deer will, will feed us for quite a long time. Only now and having three kiddos, am I having to start thinking about, Ooh, we might have to get some, some extra tickets here. Yeah. Yeah. Or savage tags or, well, I gotta be careful with those savage tags now because they're, they're regulating that we can't move them in and about where we live. You know, Barry County is getting thrown into this whole mess. So, uh... Carcass movement restrictions. Right. Everything below 
I I do I'm, I live on the north side, and so I and I travel up into Kent County. So there's like a there's a road of no return, and if I everything south of that road, I'm I'm good to go. And as soon as I get above that road, then it then it begins a little iffy. Yeah. Well, I just bring it back deboned. There you go. And I'm I'm not opposed to that. Bring the kit with you. And just keep it keep it there in the, next to me in the side seat and bone it out right there. There you go. I do appreciate in my in my opportunities to get a savage tag, or what we refer to as a savage tag. It's actually a salvage tag. <laughs> Uh, one letter. Yeah. But the, you know, you're loading one up or you're, you know, skinning one out right there alongside the road and just, you know, the double honks you get from people and like, you just wave your hand. Yep. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. I'm that guy. I am that guy. And you know what? I'm, I'm good with it. I've already mentioned my one story of, yeah, basically walking up to somebody in a car <laughs> along with a police officer standing there. I should have been wearing overalls with one clip undone, you know, <laughs> just total redneckish. But at the same time, hey, that's all stuff that goes into into our meals, and yeah, and I do. I want to make sure it's safe. I want to make sure it's quality, and if that means I got to get it tested and be inside this this zone of CWD, we, uh, I'd rather do that. Well, hey, while we got you here. Thanks again for listening. Dustin, where can our listeners engage more with us? They can check us out on Instagram at Hunnivore. They can check us out on Facebook, The Hunnivore. Or send us an email at Hunnivore at gmail.com. We've also joined the Sportsman's Nation family of passionate outdoorsmen. Um, They come together with lots of great content. You can check out their website at sportsmansnation.com. They're also on Instagram and Facebook with the handle Sportsman's Nation. Um, In fact, if you check out their blog, we have our recipes already up. And they are a 2% for conservation company, which means as a business, they give 1% of their time and 1% of their earnings back to the wildlife and wild places that we love. I think that's pretty sweet. Anyway, back to the show. I think I jumped over my setup, Dustin. Yeah. We did not go through the 2019 auto setup. I uh I have pretty much the same as far as when it comes to stands and ladders. I do I did pick up a couple more hang-on stands. And I've got a ladder set that I'm one of the strap-on ladder set sets. I'm getting more efficient at being able to move those around, just as, um, as I've gotten used to it. It's still the heavy steel stuff. Um, I love, I love my climber. It's a, it's an old man climber. O L apostrophe man climber. I actually borrowed the original old man climber from you and through a series of unfortunate events, you needed it back uh, because your other climber got ganked by somebody. Yeah. 
So then I went out and bought my own, finally ponied up and, and bought a stand or yeah. So a climber. And I love that thing. It's, it's got a hammock seat. I have climbed up some pretty gnarly trees in that. Um, definitely, definitely thanks to tightening up the, uh, the climbing harness. That's a piece of equipment that even though like, you know, everybody talks about, let's get the latest and greatest stands. Let's get the latest and greatest camo. I, I really like having my ultralight gorilla, uh, um, harness. That thing is, it's dialed in. It's got great clips. Um, I'm not worried about them ever coming undone. The webbing is nice and tight still. Um, I checked out that out, especially during the season, probably every other time that I'm going out there, you know, you're running your hands over stuff just to make sure there's no fraying or anything. Um, and I, I love that thing. It's just an ultralight, uh, harness that I, once I put it on, I don't even realize that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm running a tree spider. I had that. I've had that for several years and that's, I really like easy on super secure. I haven't tested it. Uh, in the official sense yet, but the goal is, is to have it work. and to never really I know, right? test it. I was reading a bunch of stories about folks falling out and looking into statistics about it. Yeah. I think somebody was equating it to the, the odds and the longer that you're in the game, the higher your odds get. And then you start looking at the math and you're like, well, if I'm doing this for 30 years, at some point my odds are a little too comfortable to be risking it or uncomfortable to be risking it. So yes, where the thing. Well, and it's not necessarily the beginning of the season because you're so conscientious, conscientious of it. It's mid season. You're tired. Yeah. You've gone up, you know, in some cases, you've gone up this same stand 10, 12 times, and that's when you get lazy. That's when you start making mistakes. Or you think it's a ladder stand, but apparently those, uh, it's fairly even, and I don't have the exact numbers, but ladder stands, hang-on stands, and homemade stands, um, they people fall from all of them, and climbers, so... And it's not super lopsided one way or the other. St- statistically, they're all pretty much yeah. Dangerous. Like because I, I have the or had the you know the perception you know a ladder stand how you fall out of that thing. So I may have you know left the harness in the bin because I was going to go up the ladder stand or whatever. But I don't you know. Fall out of those two. People make uh, insurance claims on staircases every year. So it's true. <laughs> even walking. Gravity, gravity <laughs> works on all of it. <laughs> Maybe we should just always, always wear harnesses. Yeah. Here's your PSA for the day. There you go. So yeah, as far as outerwear goes, that's all pretty much staying the same. Um, looking to do some more ground sitting, especially this first two two weeks while everything is still green. And while I have standing corn, I've got my homemade ASAT hoodie that, uh, I need to put a couple more stripes of black on it or some gray on it and 
get back out there as make sure you get that scent back on there yeah yeah <laughs> apparently whitetail don't care about uh spray care. paint you know not on the farm not on the farm at least i just need to go it's, roll around the corn like a little bit and that'll help out too there you go um bow still the same still the uh 2016 forge that's the uh quest forge pulling 70 pounds uh rocking a five pin sight the rest i did upgrade to a qad rest um it's not the hunter version and it's not the uh, there's like three different versions of the same rest and it all has to do with adjustability i got the mid-range so rest. it's a drop away or yep it's a drop away this is yeah. the first rest that i've had where i'm able to pull the string back and have the actual rest hold the arrow even as i let down so there's actually a trigger that gotcha. if i do need to let the arrow down it does like a full containment sort of thing and that's a that's a brand new thing i was running a trophy taker pronghorn before that and that basically just rode with the cable so as i drew back it would raise up and as i would lower it if i had to let down it would also lower down there was a little rail that you could put onto your shelf to have the arrow fall into and probably eight times out of ten it would not sit in that so i got really good at putting my finger my pointer finger on my bow hand i was i did a lot of holding of the arrow or at least just guiding the arrow there which is probably why i'm running a longer than normal arrow as well is i don't i don't really want that broadhead coming across my fingers yeah or... it never felt real i would rather have an extra inch and a half of arrow than just even pulling the broadhead back and having it being like right at the knuckles it just doesn't yeah, I don't like it. I like it out in front of the riser. So I do have a couple extra inches there. I could probably shave off a couple inches if it were an issue, but I've not had an issue with a longer arrow. In fact, it actually improves what my probably most of my efforts have gone into this off season, and that's pretty much revamping the arrow that I'm shooting. So all of my work has gone into pretty much the the arrow side of things. Um last year taking the jump into uh the Ashby um study and looking at the twelve points and you can go back to our talk with uh Ranch Ferry, Troy Fowler there, and um we go in depth on on that talk. So what I've done is I've actually increased point weight, I've increased the insert, and I've actually changed up the arrow that I'm shooting. So actually due to a raffle win, I didn't actually buy the arrows, but I won them. I guess I could say I bought them because I had to buy the raffle tickets. But I ended up with some Day 6 300 spine arrows. They're at 11.3 grains per inch, and I'm running it at 29 inches. So I've got a nice, like, 
almost 300 grains in the arrow as is. Yeah. Um, a lot of weight. A lot of weight there, which is good. I mean, now after, after talking with Troy, I could probably go with a light arrow and do what I'm doing here on the front end of it. But at the same time, I don't know. I kind of like having a, I kind of like throwing a little bit more heft downrange. On the front of it is where really a lot of the effort has been spent. And I went with their stainless steel insert outsert. So it's the, there's an, an insert that goes in. It's got a long shank that goes down the, uh, down the inside of the shaft there. And then it's got a screw on outsert collar. And together, both of those make, um, the front of the arrow much, uh, basically makes the front of the arrow have more structural integrity because of the shaft going down, or excuse me, because of the insert going down the shaft on the inside, it stiffens the front of that arrow and it having the outsert keeps that insert from basically twisting out or breaking through the carbon. So the two of those work together and that system comes out to a hundred grains just in the insert. On top of that, I bumped up and went with a another single bevel broadhead and I went with a cutthroat broadhead. Um I forget the name of the company that actually cuts those out. But anyway, the cutthroat broadhead um looked at some reviews and just looked at uh how they're made. It has the shape that I was looking for. It's got the size I was looking for and it's got the weight that I really wanted. And that broadhead is two hundred grains. And it's um it's not quite a three to one as in three inches long, one inch wide, which is what is considered to be most effective in the Ashby study, but it is still being a single bevel and being like two and a half to one and a half. It still has the size and shape that's gonna be efficient at going through bone if that's what I'm going to encounter. Is that a Folsom point or it is it's a cut on contact. Um it has, I believe, what's referred to as a tanto tip. As in there's a single bevel, but then at the same time on the tip itself that still comes to a point on the non-beveled side, there is still a bevel on the tip put in. And what that does is it creates a very small cutting edge that that's the first thing that hits the deer or hits the hits the side of it. So as it impacts, there's actually a cutting edge that is going in rather than, say, just a point, like a, either a needle point or like a, uh, what do I want to say, like a, like a pen prick. This is more of an actual blade edge that is that is going into the animal and i guess studies have shown that that having that cutting edge going in first is going to be a mechanical advantage as opposed to a disadvantage if that makes any sense it does you missed my joke but oh (laughs) oh the Folsom point so we're we're talking like Caveman 9, style. 9,500 to 8,000 BCE. 
Sorry, I was too busy thinking about my yeah, uh, no, what it what what it actually was. No, you did a good job descript- describing it in there. Well, good. And the two other folks that got the joke were snickering to themselves a little bit. So well, it worked hey, out. Good, good on them. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like, and especially, I I posted a picture, I think earlier this week, and it it was just kind of like a a nod to maybe, you know those those caveman guys out there making yeah. the fulsome points and we've got these state of the art broadheads and we've got all this data that's put, put in front of us and I need to put a, a good edge on my broadheads and the tool that I happen to have, I mean, just having a, a farm, a farm shop at my disposal, I have just antiques everywhere. Nothing's ever new. Nothing ever works. <laughs> you ju- you have to fix it before you can fix something else. It's a it's a constant constant issue. But it, it's great for skill development. So yeah, anyway, yeah. I I had mentioned I needed a sharpener, and sure enough, my father's like, "Oh yeah, I got this. Uh, I got this oil stone you can use." And so I I go and pick it up from him, and it's it's literally like a big piece of cast, like a big cast iron pan, nice. and in it. There's, it's one of the tri, tri stone, um, inserts that has like your, your coarse, your medium and your fine, except the, the medium is, is broken and gone. The coarse, the one side, I actually flipped the stone over because it's a huge divot from, I don't know how many years of being used. I can't say for sure if it's a century old, but it's probably getting there i mean this thing is <laughs> definitely <laughs> old business here i couldn't there there's a plate on the side that says like you know like a manufacturer company and you know where it was and maybe a date but you can't even you can hardly read what it is i got to do some sanding to even get get to that point to even see what it says but anyway that's what i was running these state of the art broadheads on and i'm I'm about one stage away from being razor sharp. I can cut just a few hairs off of my arm. I can't get a full slick yet, but I haven't run it on a ceramic or um, like a, a yeah. glass edge or anything. I haven't gone that far yet. I haven't stropped him yet. Uh, we, we're still a month out, so I don't think I need to get to that point. But at the same time, I'm getting a nice mirrored edge that at first, I was like, "Oh yeah, these broadheads are are kind of dangerous looking." Now, putting the edge on them, I'm like, "Oh boy, I'm I'm now kind of really like th- to have something actually really sharp is is a little spooky." So anyway, that's where all my effort has gone into is basically my big change from 2018 to 2019 is all in what's hitting the animal. Um, I've got dreams and aspirations for other things. Um, I got a chance to see and talk to a couple guys who work with those saddle um, operations using a, a saddle up in a tree. And just as we were talking a little bit about, about harnesses um, and I've done some work with some high ropes courses at like a youth camp. I used to run, run some of those and, you know, being around that, you would run rescue, and so you'd have to understand ropes, you'd have to understand harnesses, you'd have to understand tension, and um, how to get people up and down safely. 
you look at how that system of a harness has you pretty much kind of like what the lifeline was on a a ladder stand or a hang-on stand where it's a, a rope that you've attached all the way to the top and there's a pressic and you then slide that pressic knob up and that's your safety line. With these harnesses, you are totally attached to that tree and that there's tension put onto that lifeline. There is no fall, I want to say. You can slide into the tree. Your feet can slip and you can then basically just bump into the tree. But there's never a drop. There's never a yank in that system. Done properly, it is safer than being in a ladder stand with a regular harness. Because if you fall out of that ladder stand, you still run the risk of the yank. And yeah, it, and compression afterwards. Exactly. So yeah, you eliminate basically that possible chest compression thing with the way that the saddle is set up because the distribution is, I mean, you're literally sitting in it. So the distribution is built for comfort. So circulation system all, all works hunky-dory. Yeah, you don't get that uncomfortable. Even just, I think that's half of it too, is guys get in the stand, they're like, this. I don't like how this feels. I don't know how it feels to have these straps tight, so I'm going to leave them loose. And that's where you then run into your problem, because yeah, that'll ride up into either, you know, higher up into your crotch, or even like you said, the chest part. If you don't have that tight enough, you you run the risk of either slipping out, or at the same time, that, that compression, the slap of you actually yanking on that that's gonna it's gonna knock the wind out of you and now you can't do nothing that's back so you think it's you're sounds like you're leaning saddle here at some point well it's not in the cards for the 1920 season but after talking to uh tim clark um up at the bha rendezvous and having a chance to then use um, a harness or excuse me, use a, a saddle. And I only went up, it was just a quick demo. Um, we had to get moving on to something, something different, but anyway, I had a chance to, to put it on it. You look at it online, you look at these videos and they try to explain what they're doing at the same time that you're like, okay, well, you lost me. Yeah. That seems complex when they try to explain it. But when you hold the pieces in your hand, you're like, well, this is it. I get this. And it's it's not out of the ordinary of you wearing basically a regular harness. If you can run a an ultralight tree harness that you would normally take out, or if you can run one of the hunter safety system harnesses, you have the ability to handle one of these saddles without too much uh, schooling. What I did learn up there, and that there was a really good point, is, you know, you're you're learning something different. You're going you're going the opposite of what you were. It used to be I want to stay close to this tree, and now everything with the saddle is I want to get away from the tree, and so you you first have to get over the idea of being a tree hugger 
in a situation, but actually a tree leaner, you want to lean away because that's going to provide the tension and that's going to keep you stable. So your first initial hurdle is that. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's probably your second hurdle. Your first hurdle is just being able to handle a system that's going to get you up a tree and able to be then to set up your your saddle. And they offered several different variations from, you know, one guy was taking and he was putting these um, steps on that you would actually secure as you're going up. So he would go up one ladder with his lineman's belt or he'd go up one step and then he would set the next step. And then he would go up that, he'd adjust his lineman, and then he would put another step. So like as he's going up, he's progressively adding steps as he goes along. Um another guy showed how he used sticks where he just bought the he got the saddle but he stayed with his same um stick system. And then it was put out there that it said, why can't you just use a normal like ladder section that goes together? You know, you get your four foot pieces that you've already got strapped up and you've got your hang on stand that you're not necessarily want anymore. Or it's a great stand site and you just, you want to add the, the versatility of a saddle. Well, heck, you can just go up, take that hang off on and put up your platform that you're going to stand on and then just use that same setup. So the versatility of the saddle with existing pieces was also a real draw that I liked that, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to spend a little extra money on this system, but at the same time, I I can use other pieces. I don't have this specific set of stuff that I have to get. Yeah, it's the ultimate uh, universal piece of equipment. So yeah, I'm I'm leaning towards it. I like it, and maybe I'm gonna get one, but it's not gonna be this year. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. I looked at them a little bit this year and looked at the you know build your own package and seen how people geek out and get stuff from arborist suppliers and do this and that and super lightweight version this and that. It's a, it's a whole different world. It and is. I, I added up a few of the price tags. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I want to do it, but for me too, not, not this season. But it, it has a some serious advantage, especially if you're gonna go trekking long distances. Just having that all packed in tight, and not pulling a climber or a chain on with you. Exactly. You can see the appeal. Yep. It comes back to that. I think we had this discussion before last season because it always seems to catch up with me too, that I run out of, uh, exposable or expendable funds right around the start when all of a sudden like new stuff starts coming out and it's like, doc got it. Like I want that too. And I want all the new cool stuff. And at the same time, it boils down to listen, and I, I love it. It comes across every once in a while on social media. Like, you know, the here's 10 things that Fred Bear wants to tell you. And 
you know, your great grandfather sat out in red plaid and just sat still yeah. and shot big deer. You can sit still with what you got. You don't need the latest and greatest. As not as, even as cool yeah. as it is, you you'll be just fine. Not even that long ago. So I was on YouTube and I watched a video and then an auto whatever, you know, auto plays based on the genre similar to kind of style. And and it said nineteen eighty five deer season opening day Michigan outdoors with Fred Trost. And I played that and I listened to the guys talk and I saw, you know, they're all wearing plaid and this and that and it almost made me kind of <laughs> kind of sad to see where we've we've come with this this thing and that thing. Like it, I also you know, I see both or I enjoy both sides because it's fun to geek out too. So <laughs> but it was one of those kind of reality checks like are we doing it better or worse i i don't i don't know up for discussion but it was it was definitely i mean 85 was uh the year i was born not that long ago <laughs> <laughs> no just feels like the other day doesn't it yeah yeah it, it's a uh, Interesting watching the transition, especially when you kind of get a, a snapshot when you watch a video like that. Well, I'm hoping to I bring. Know. I might, I might do the the hunting public style and rock flannel instead of camel this year. I don't know. Hey, there you go. My uh, my goal is is with the the DIY uh, ASAT is to uh, get close this year, do some more ground sitting, especially the first two weeks. And, um, yeah, we're really going to bring it back. The, uh, the longbow is going to be joining the woods, going to be joining the arsenal this year. I'm, uh, I'm going to give it two weeks. I'm going to take two weeks off the early start, especially when I want to, uh, I want to harvest a dole off corn. Um, just because that's a, it's a great non-intrusive way to get, um, to some deer but at the same time not bump a lot of my woodland spots when um when rut kicks in i uh i want to bring the longbow out i'm going to be putting on the same cutthroats on my um on my traditional arrows they're just oh what are they 8.6 something grains per inch and they're they're carbons they're not as beefy as the uh the day sixes. Yeah, it's quite a bit lighter per inch. It is. Well, um, obviously, there's a lot less energy there. A lot less string. Yeah. Um, I think I'm drawn at 20, 27 inches, 26 and a half, maybe. And the way a, a trad bow works is uh, everything's based off of 28 inches. That's, I, I, that's a standard they've picked because you'll have it see it written on the limb. It'll say uh, 55 pounds at 28 inches, or in the case of mine, is 45 pounds at 28 inches. And for every inch past 28 inches, there's a certain amount of, of poundage that's added. And for everything under 28 inches, there's less poundage added. So with my bow being 45 pounds at 28, I'm like an inch and a half lower than that. So I'm losing like five pounds. So I'm I'm essentially have a forty pound bow that I'm going to be rocking. Um, so 
where this cutthroat head comes really into play is it's a single bevel. It's heavy. It's got a darn good edge that I'm going to put on it. I'm trying to give myself as much mechanical advantage that I can given this uh, this setup. And at the same time, I got to be I got to be close. We're to- we're talking under uh, 15 yards for a for yeah. a deer. And just given the way that I've been shooting this, um, I feel really confident when I'm on the ground. Um, I've done some shooting from my knees, feel good there. And th- it, that's going to have to be the spot where I take it. I've not, I've not done any shooting with that particular bow up in a, up in a tree stand. Um, so yeah, this is going to have to be my, my ground attack is I'm going to have to get in real tight, which I did last year. And I got, I got a couple opportunities real close. I just couldn't with a compound. You, there's a lot of like, you got to draw, you got to hold, you got to line stuff up. Whereas with the longbow, there's a lot of intuitive as I, as I draw, it's, it's a much quicker process than say yeah. the compound. You don't so, have a choice to try to perfect it. No, you just kind of either I mean, perfect off the bat or it's not right. I don't want to say grip it and rip it. There's still a process that I have going. Yeah. At the same time, I can I can snap shoot that thing pretty darn pretty darn good. At least enough yeah. to the confidence where I'm going to say, "Hey, 15 yards," and I get a doe walking by. Let's uh, let's do it. Cool. So yeah, I I didn't put that into uh, into our scale. Oh, that's what I was gonna gonna talk about too. Is that um. There's there's two established scoring scales that are out there. There's the Boone and Crockett, and then there's the Pope and Young. The Boone and Crockett, um, is that does that include rifle as well? Yeah, yeah. The Pope and Young's the bow, and then the Pope yeah. and Young is archery only. Um, there's going to be a new scale that's actually hitting this hitting the. Uh, hitting the woods this year, or at least hitting the record books. And um, it it's a little more, I want to say, technical. Now, that's not to say that these other two scales are not technical. I mean, you, you, there's a, you have a green score, and then you have a dried score. Everything's down to a fraction of an inch. Deductions. Deductions. And, differences. Yes. This is a better score. I mean, I'm just going to go on record and say it right now. We're the, coming out. It's groundbreaking. and it, I don't even know if anybody's going to try to get into Boone and Crockett or Pope and Young anymore after this. This this is the new one that's going to take uh, take the record books. This is yeah, going to be, this one's going to mean something. Pretty much. You know. It's a new era. So launching in uh, 2019 here, we have the Otto Eisenhoff scoring system. Um. I want to say that uh, our associate public land warrior Brock uh, is working on a document or at least a Google calculator to speed up the process. And we will, we'll try to get that out to you as quick as possible. But again, we will also post this so that you can come up with your score as well. And we would love to see not only the pictures of your animals this next coming year, but at the same time, we want to know the score. Um, so first, it comes out. There's there's several areas. Uh, there's um, the re- the deer recovery, antler points, uh, the fifth quarter, 
and then the hanging carcass. Those are the four main areas of where we pull, where we derive our scores from. So starting out, um, with a recovered deer, you get a 50 point start. Buck, doe, button buck, fawn, doesn't matter. You get 50 50 points. points. Um, 15, 15 additional points as a bonus. If it is on public land. So for our public land fellas out there, you do get your extra 15 points for being cool. (laughs) Now you get another 10 points for bringing out kids or non hunting friends on the recovery. So you've shot the animal, you go back, you announce it. Hey, now we got to go track it, or we just have to go back to where it was at. You get an additional 10 points for bringing kids, which are going to be 16 years and under, I'm going to say. We got we to gotta come up with that's a number official. here. Yeah, that's, that's in the fine print. That's in the fine print. So 16 and under are the kids or non-hunting friends on the recovery. It is a max of 10 points. I cannot bring out my three children and get 30 points on a recovery. Public Land Warrior Brock cannot bring you out on the recovery and get 10 points for it because you partake as a hunter. So, it's got to be a non-hunting. You get, now, the recovered deer, or it's 50 points for the recovered deer, 15 if you're on public, 10 points for bringing along a kid or a non-hunting friend, and then, you get one point for every quarter mile in the unassisted drag or carry of the animal. So if you happen to be a quarter mile, and you're, you're going to have to verify it via GPS or something, but for every quarter mile, you get one point. So if you're, one, if you're a quarter mile from the truck, and you pull it all, you drag it all the way to the truck, you get yourself one additional point. If you're three miles out there, uh, three times four, you get yourself 12 points for a three-mile pull, which, hey, that's pretty sweet. Sleds and additional pullers are allowed, but there's no assistance from ATVs, gators, or anything that's got wheels. Mules. Yeah, anybody running mules here in Michigan? (laughs) (laughs) What is yeah. this, Montana? No points. No points. No points there. So but, I do... Um, if I'm the additional puller, can I can I bank or transfer some of these points? I'm going to say that that is going to be... Because we were talking about this earlier. That is a yeah. very interesting thing. So if you bring out a hunter who assists in a drag of another friend's deer, and again, it's going on hunter uh, honesty at this point. You can roll over friendly drags onto a score of your deer. That might be a way to get somebody to drag the deer. You'd be like, hey, I got one three miles, but I'll give you my points. I'll, I'll give you the points. I'll give you the points. So that's, you know, 12 points. So drag... Eight. Drag points are transferable. That's your that's your uh, your way to get more friends out to help you. There you go. 
that's going to be a fun one. I'm excited to see what happens. <laughs> now we're into the antler points. Uh, we're we're kind of going with some basic Michigan rules here on this one. You get one point for every point that can hold a ring. So get your wedding ring out or you know borrow somebody's ring that you got or see. If it's a point that can hold a ring, that gets you one point. Um, for unique looking deer, uh, you get a five point bonus for a sticker, which is a point off of a point or a split brow time. So we'll give you five additional points. So So for each sticker, you get five points or a or a split brow would just be five points. So if I have a perfectly symmetrical eight point that has 20 inch tines, how many points do I get for that perfectly symmetrical eight point with 20 inch tines? Eight points. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> exactly where I want it. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> if I have an eight point that has these little busted nubbers and it looks all mangled, how many points do I get for that one? Eight points. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> What I like about this too is a dude so far, if he if he smokes a doe on public land and has a two mile drag, it doesn't matter points yeah, he's antler up. points. You know, he's he's looking really good right now. He is he's still in the, in the race. If you have the private land guy that shoots a a twenty point, he he's probably behind. He is. You know, he's got fifty points and then twenty points. He's at seventy, and that's it. That's it. And I mean, hell, if he's got private land, he's got twenty pointer deer out there. He's yeah. darn well Run using a mule to drag it back, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not bringing his kids out there to do it because no. they've all got he, other stuff to do. He hired somebody <laughs> else to run the mule. <laughs> all right, where are we at on this thing? All right, so we just got through antler points. Um, yep. We're on to the fifth quarter. You get. Five points for each organ recovered and kept. So, you've opened it up, you feel dressed. If you're able to keep, and again, Hunter's Honor, use organs, you can get yourself five additional points for every organ. I do put on there that pairs are considered one. So, if... If you pull out the lungs and want to do something like traditional haggis with lung, lungs is still considered, you know, five points. But I got two of them. Doesn't matter. It's five points. The other one I was thinking, too, if somebody wanted to make uh, whitetail oysters. (laughs) Five points. Five points. You don't get ten for the pair. It's just five. But at the same time, you're looking at heart, you're looking at liver, and you're looking at um I'm gonna I'm gonna throw tongue into that. Tongue isn't an organ, but that would be I I'm gonna add tongue into that. So there's fifteen additional points just keeping the odd ends. There you go. And that's not including other special bits that guys are gonna gonna try to do. So fifth quarter Bonus points there, five points for every organ. And then we get into the hanging carcass. 
I tried to keep this one as as simple as I could. At the same time, I wanted to give the meat cutter the chance to really kind of show off his skills at this point. So, you get one point for every pound above 100 pounds. And this is the... The carcass weight or the field dress weight? This is the the field dressed weight. Sorry. I have hanging carcass I want to put yeah, up there. I was like, holy dear. You get one point points for that. For every pound <laughs> above 100 pounds of field dress weight. At field dressed. I'm adding that in right now. So at field dressed, if you are come in, Public Land Warriors Brock was 110 pounds field dressed, he would have himself 10 points. Makes sense. In addition, in addition, now you go through the cut-up of your deer. We talked about that, the ideal, and we talked about the realistic. This is where you got to come out with your algebra problem for your bonus points here. You get two points for every pound above realistic. So if you look at your usable meat scale, we've got our range of ideal and we have our range of, and then we have the low end of realistic. Every pound gets you two every pound above realistic given your stats gets you two points. So let's say in the case of Public Land Warriors Brock, his ideal was 38 and a half. I'll give him the extra half on there. 38.5 was the realistic. We get to cutting it up, and we throw the throw that on the scale, and actual total brings us up to 42 points. Well, I'm going to give you an additional 8 points. You're 4 points above what ideal was. I want you to double that, and I'll give you 8 points above realistic. Does that, seem, Beautiful. does that seem too complicated, or does that seem doable? I think it's doable. We got the, the math formula. Gotcha. So I, I didn't say it wasn't going to be drawn out. <laughs> and I didn't say that it wasn't going to be easy. But what I want to say is that the Otto Eisenhoff score, I think, kind of covers the realm of a deer hunt. I think it really lays out what what the hunt was like as a as a numerical score. Do you agree? I do. It's a very well-rounded scoring system. And being from Michigan where I don't have monstrous deer and people talk about deer up in 200, 200 you know 200 score and I'm like I I have never even laid eyes on an animal that big, at least antler-wise. You know, it doesn't yeah. even include the the body size of that thing. That now we're kind of refining everything into a whole experience. So when somebody comes up with a super high score on the Otto Heisenhoff score, you know, it's like, hey, that's a big thumbs up. You've earned every point of that. But I think at the same time, guys, guy who gets out, he only gets out a couple weekends and he gets himself a nice big nanny doe. He's still going to end up with a nice big score. He's going to still feel really good about that. And basically we're all out here for 
one purpose, or at least I think that me and you are out here for this purpose of when we get our animal, it's a celebration of that animal in its entirety. We're going to use it. We love to eat venison. We love to utilize as much as we can. And that's what this score was really trying to reflect. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. Awesome. Well, hey, we are rolling on over an hour now, Dustin. It's been great talking to you. Um, Have you done anything culinarily? Give me a dish that you've done recently that uh, (laughs) we need to know about. Oh, my goodness. Backing up. Back up. Oh, yeah. Wait, that's about the only one that I can think of is the one that you're about to mention. Yes. We just did on our Insta story, we did the Pepsi Challenge between... Uh, in a bag, traditional style with water, bluegill, and backpack. Dustin was chef, did him the same. Flour on the fillet. Just flour, yep. And no salt added. They were cooked at the same time and kept separate. The handle and care of these, same freezer. They were pretty much side by side, or at least on top of one another. Um, We did mention the variable that in the backpack bag, a bit of the seal was lost. Yeah. It didn't look like it was burnt, but clearly the seal was compromised. Gotcha. So we had seal compromised, but no freezer burn. I think that reflected into our test because it and it it was done blind. We tried to do it as honest as possible because yeah. a we wanted to know we're doing this whole reason for us, but at the same time we want to be able to present information to you as a listening audience and unanimously. Granted it was only two of us, but <laughs> a test of two yeah. two blind mice, me and Brock both picked backpack as the better of the two fillets. Yeah. Um, Based pretty much on crispiness. Yeah. I want to say like firmness of the flesh and the crispiness of the, the, um, the flour was able to make on the outside of it. That, that kind of won it over for us. Given that information, both of us picking that one, if you look at what was left on the plate, there wasn't anything left. So the yeah. story of bluegill done traditionally in water is that it is still absolutely delicious. Yeah, it's still it's still good stuff. I think it potentially gives merit to that theory that that uh, freezing process in the water um, affects the meat with you know, the crystallization or something like that. Cause it, that could make sense why that would more or less potentially tenderize, which you don't really want to do with a fish. Um, Cause tender equals mushy in a fish. Right. Were, not that they were like extra mushy, but it was discernibly uh, crispier with the, and I, so I had the biased view and I could hardly tell the difference. So <laughs> <laughs> I knew which one I was. So, 
Gotcha. It's not it's, it's not like it's light years apart, but it, that one definitely got the nod in the. I think the, the blind uh, helped the too because I think... again, I I was going in completely. Actually, I was going in very skeptical. So, like every bite that I took, like I'm trying to analyze. Yeah. All these different criteria, whether it's like, is, is this mushy? Um, like, what's my firmness like? Am I getting flavor off this? Is this more than just flour and flesh? And then going back and forth between the two, the only thing I could really distinguish was I had a little bit more firmness left in what was A at that point, and that was the the backpack. So take it for what you will, folks. It's either you're going to backpack from now on, or you're going to stick and stick with your same old process of freezing in water, whatever you do, that's fine with us. But just know that we've done our, our due diligence in this quick little exercise. Yeah. There was no compromise in the freezing in the bag of full of water because it's, it's a block of ice. Foolproof. <laughs> it's foolproof. <laughs> so there's always that. There you go. If you don't want to mess with the seals, just put them in water. Keep them, yep. keep them frozen. Um, culinarily, my uh, my big win was yesterday, where I I used some skirt steak and made fajitas. I went and I made we we just previously did an episode with Ward Danger, um, from Musket Powder. So I'm gonna do one more shout out for for Ward and uh, his seasoning he's put together. He's graciously given us the um, discount code. Use Huntivore, H-U-N-T-A-V-O-R-E, in the discount code, and you get some savings there. So sweet. Help him out. He's doing a great job. It's a great seasoning. Um, But anyway, used that, some cumin, some chili paste, lime, and lime juice specifically and some oil and basically made a marinade and put the skirt steak in that overnight. And this is all venison, venison skirt steak. So like as you, you get your field dressed deer, those floppy bits that hang on the side. This is exactly what I use that normally goes into grind or in the case of bloodshot, like, yeah, sometimes it just gets cut off and tossed. Um, but yeah, I thought like, this is the perfect time to use this. I went, what, what I've heard uh, described as is dirty grilling. I've also now heard it called caveman style. And I actually took the grate off the grill. So I'm just left there with hot white coals. I use lump charcoal for this as opposed to briquettes. The lump gives, I thought it gave like a little bit more surface area to be able to, to do what I'm about to do. And at the same time, there's no additives in it. Um, I use just newspaper in my chimney. I didn't use any lighter fluid just so that I'm not adding any extra uh, additives or any fumes or anything onto the meat. Because then what I did is I pulled from the marinade and laid the meat directly on the hot coals. You would assume that that would just char that piece of meat instantly. And, uh, do do a little bit of a science cause I've seen Alton Brown pull this trick before. Um, I think he did it on, it might've, might've been fajitas he was making. It might've been uh Philly cheesesteak that he was doing anyway, 
lays it directly on the coals, and, I mean, it's literally 120 seconds. It's two minutes per side, and you get a caramelization, and you get a nice char on the outside of that piece of meat. Uh, The marinade helps with the oil, but at the same time, because the meat is in contact with the charcoal, there's no oxygen between the two to cause the flare-up. And the flare-up is what's going to get you your burnt. So right now, you're basically working off of just dry heat that doesn't have any oxygen. So it's, I mean, it's intense heat, but there's no flare-up. I then, after 120 seconds, flipped it over and gave it 120 seconds more. As soon as I did that, I pulled it off and I just let it rest. I then turned my attention to my veggies. I used a cast iron skillet. I actually put the grate back on, cast iron skillet. You know, you got your your normal bell pepper. I went with red, green, and I had an onion. Um, threw some musket powder on that, a little additional salt, and uh, let those cook down in some, some oil. Uh, but anyway, about that time that that was done, I went and I thin sliced that skirt steak. And still had some pink in in throughout it, but at the same time you have like a little bit of a bitter char on the outside. It mixed in awesome with the heat from the pepper that I had in there. Um, I think in his mix there's a little bit of brown sugar, and so like that actually came out a little bit. There's a little sweet, so there was just a whole play of like bitter, heat, sweet, veggie, tortilla. I mean, like everything you love about like a good Tex-Mex fajita, just sang. And I want to say it was like from the direct implementation of on charcoal. So if you have that opportunity to get risky, um, to throw it directly on charcoal, I would say go for it. It's it's not, after you do it, you're like, oh, this ain't scary. This is nice. I, I can do this. Um, I definitely endorse it for like thin cuts, like a skirt steak. Or um, a brisket off venison, not an actual brisket. Um, but anything with that's really thin, that would be a great use for it. Um, like your regular backstrap, or you know, if you're going domestic and you got a, like a ribeye or whatever, um, definitely do that on the grate because there's a little more into it. This works extremely well with thin cuts that you've marinated and then you want to be able to serve with the pink in the inside of it. So anyway, that was a new technique and a new culinary venture that I, I used and definitely home run on that. Bold move. It worked out good. Worked out good for me, cotton. (laughs) No risk, no reward. Right. Well, Hey, here we are at now over an hour. Uh, Dustin, it's been great talking with you. Uh, missed you the, this past couple weeks. Glad we finally got a chance to connect. Absolutely. Um, good luck on the move. If Thank you, need, you. If you need any help, call any one of the listeners. I'm sure they'll they'll <laughs> jump and help you. <laughs> Ship them out. <laughs> so, yeah, other than that, take us out. Close us down there, Dustin. It's been good. I, uh, I'm glad that I got to take a break from the reality of moving to realize how unprepared I am for this hunting season. So (laughs) 
<laughs> that's always great but no good to take a second to breathe and talk about the fun stuff well good deal so hey folks when you're moving make sure you're using uh, good tape and uh, <laughs> when you're cooking keep your knife sharp